Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Goal Line Podcast. Today's special guest is a youth performance coach based in Baltimore, Maryland. Her name is Erica Suter, better known as the Fit Soccer Queen on Instagram and Twitter. So, Erica, thank you for coming on. Hey, Jesse. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Of course, of course. So, uh, before we kind of dive into, you know, I guess everything, Erica, I first wanted to ask you, you know, basically your background and how you got into coaching. It's uh it's been a long journey and it all started with me being involved in strength and conditioning in the 6th grade. So I started I guess doing this stuff since I was really young and I I saw the mental and physical benefits of lifting weights and and working on speed and taking care of my body. Um and I eventually went on to play in college. And then I played in Brazil when I graduated from college uh, and ended my career there. And um, while I was playing in Brazil, I I worked with kids um, and developed a passion for teaching youth. And then when I got back, I decided to only work with youth and to go for my strength and conditioning certification and go back to graduate school uh, to get my master's in exercise science and keep going with this whole strength and conditioning thing and um, been doing it for almost uh, nine years now. So um, yeah, it's gone by really, really fast. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So how, when you were playing in Brazil, which by the way is awesome, I had no idea. Where in Brazil first? I I was in Rio de Janeiro. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Sounds, sounds like a great time. But how did you decide to start working with just kids? You know, what kind of clicked for you while you were there to make you realize that? Oh, gosh. I mean, first of all, I I love just the energy kids have. And I love their eagerness to learn. And um, I would say I work with a lot of middle school female athletes. So that that is such a great age to teach them good habits. So good um, habits as far as uh, movement patterns and physical fitness, but also mentally and just making this stuff a part of their lives for a lifetime. And even when they finish playing, it doesn't end there, like nourishing their bodies, being strong, being healthy, having endurance. It doesn't stop after that last game, like nothing should change. So it's nice to be able to leave that impression on the young athletes I work with now. And even beyond all of that, like I'd rather talk to kids about, you know, what's going on in school and just like topics that aren't as serious, I suppose, when you're talking (laughs) with adults. (laughs) Right. right. um, Yeah. I mean, truthfully, I just enjoy hanging out with kids because I feel like I'm a kid myself and pretty goofy. So that's always been really fun. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, I sometimes think that kids can be more mature than me, but um, no. So but, <laughs> but I, you, touched on, you touched on a very important point. Uh, and that's, they're so young that you're kind of ingraining these great habits, not only movement habits, but uh, essentially life and mental habits. And, you know, it's funny, I was just talking to a friend of mine today who's playing division one basketball. And, and he was like, man, I just the learning curve just from high school to, to college was so big. And so like, you know, I what I want to know is what habits are you teaching them now to prepare them so they can have like you know less of a learning curve when they do start playing if they start playing at the college level. The the biggest habit I, I'm teaching to them now is cons- is consistency uh, because that if they have that down then they're going to be successful with with anything in life. So consistency with their training, consistency with showing up to practice on time, consistency with doing a warm-up, getting good sleep, eating well. So that's just like the foundation of everything I teach as far as them uh, getting them into good habits. Um, You know, I could preach them all day how beneficial it is for them to strength train, but if they're just you know, doing it here and there and, you know, whenever they want or whenever they feel like it and they're not doing it for the long haul, then it's it's not going to pay off uh, physiologically, but also mentally and emotionally. I love that. I love that. So 
when you first started coaching, what were some of the early mistakes that you made and that you're kind of realizing how to fix them now? Oh gosh, so many, so many embarrassing ones. Um, You know, it's, you look back in the first, even like three to five years and there's so much you can improve upon. But the the one thing I've been getting into recently now and really trying to sift through the research, because there's not a lot out there on this, but it's growth and maturation in, in young athletes. So, um, how to tweak your training and the volume, um, what, what you're teaching them based on that growth spurt period, um, when their bodies are becoming uncoordinated or that maybe they're slowing down there during this time, or maybe they're losing some stability in their core. I feel when I started out, I did not have that much knowledge about true child development and, and what was going on. I knew a lot about training and, and right. the benefits of certain lifts and how they translated to soccer, but I didn't do enough research about exercise physiology as far as development in those vulnerable years. So we're talking for female athletes, um, like ages 11 to 13, boys are going to be a year or two behind that. Um, but that's when kids are, are growing the fastest. So they're getting taller. Um, female athletes are getting more fat mass on them. So that can um, disrupt some speed or some coordination or they feel awkward. So I really wish I knew more about that. Um, but there's actually, there's not that much research out there on it, which I also think is fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting to, you know, I I think coaches have their own agendas a lot of time and we kind of lose sight of, you know, what maybe the kid's agenda is and what they're currently going through and how things are working for them. So that's, that's an interesting topic to, to really dive into. Um, So you train a lot of young female athletes as well. Now, how do they ever like buy into that, you know, the, the false stigma that like, you know, they don't want to get too strong or, or how do you combat, you know, they're, they're the female youth, female athletes pushbacks into what you're trying to get them to understand that, you know, lifting weights and getting strong is just getting strong. Like, you know, it's not necessarily the going to affect their appearance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I don't feel I've ever had to like cajole a female athlete into lifting weights only because um, I try to be a, a living, walking example of what I'm preaching. So if they're seeing Coach Erica crushing out 35 pound uh, chin ups, um, <laughs> but she, you know, humble she, brag, <laughs> right? <laughs> like she still looks, you know, a- athletic and, and is right. this like strong woman. Um, th- they see that. So anything a young female athlete sees, they're going to follow. So like as a coach, whether you're a, a male or a female coach, you you better be practicing what you preach to some extent because you know these girls they're they're so young and they're they're watching, they're observing, and I think that's been huge. But also, you know, if I have any sort of reluctancy, I just try to explain to them how it's going to help them be a better soccer player and also provide a a little bit of science and what's going on in their bodies and what to expect. And just coming from that place of caring for them as a human as well has been really helpful uh, into getting them on board with strength training. I love it. I love the, I'm a big fan of practicing what you preach and, you know, which, which kind of goes into obviously a leadership tactic and what other, I guess this is going to sound weird, but what other kind of leadership strategies do you, do you employ when training so many young athletes? You know, what else other than leading by example, is, are there one or two other things that you do to kind of make them make these kids into better leaders? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Leading by example is huge. I would say that's that's the main one. Um, but just making sure they they have fun and they enjoy the sessions. So it's you know it's good to be serious. And there comes a point when kids have to learn, especially when we're nailing down technique on certain things. But then there has to be a percentage of the session where 
we're doing something that that's a blast. And and they leave that session saying, wow, I worked really hard, but it was so fun. And, and they're smiling, but they're sweating. And that, that for me is what's, what's most memorable for these kids. And, um, you know, I remember growing up and when I was in sixth grade and I had my strength coach, we were doing things like tug of war in like a mud pit. Right. We were doing like pushing like pickup trucks, like as a group, like <laughs> just like these crazy memories, but it left a good taste in my mouth with fitness training. Like if, you know, my strength coach was constantly blowing a whistle and make, making us do like shuttle runs and gassers. Like, I don't think I would have that good of a taste in my mouth. Um, but I think he was able to make it fun. And I definitely remember that uh, when I was growing up. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Just making it fun. That's awesome. So um, you obviously like to read as well as I do. And you posted about an interesting book uh, recently, kind of more about not anything health and science related, but it was more ph- philosophical, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think it was, was it sacred economics? <laughs> That's that. It sounds it sounds right. Yeah, so uh, it uh, you know I exercise science and training. It's it's cool and all, but I love just learning about other topics. And yeah, I'm right now. I'm reading Sacred Economics by Charles Eisenstein, and it's. <laughs> It's challenging. It's like, I feel like my brain is about to explode. Um, <laughs> you know, I studied economics in undergrad, and it's it's such a challenging subject area. Um, it really taps into a different part of your brain. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a very interesting read because it's talking a lot about um, how a, a gift economy should emerge so that humans can tap into their creativity and really do things that they enjoy and want to give to others. Um, so in, in the book, he gives actually gives the example of content creation and um, totally resonate with that because it's like uh, when I'm writing blogs, it's like I'm doing that for free. Like I'm just giving that information because I enjoy it and it's fun and I think people can benefit and it's inspirational. So I thought that was really cool that he mentioned that. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm, <laughs> I have like a couple of chapters left and I'm still like, I probably need to go back and reread this because right. <laughs> absolutely complex. <laughs> so, so what, what else does he say about the, the gift economy? And I guess the, the gift of giving is, is what I assume is t- what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, he said that it's his main point is We've reached a part in our economy where there's just too many services and too too much consumerism. So, like when when we were uh, growing up as kids, it was a different story. It was like, okay, if you you needed someone to to babysit you, it, your neighbors would do it. Um, you know, and you wouldn't pay a daycare service. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like bringing humans back to like actually, you know, helping each other without expecting something in return. But eventually, like that gift does come back in return anyway. So that was that was really interesting. Um, and then he also talks about how like we have all these advances in technology, but we don't we're working harder than every book before we're unhealthier than ever before we're more stressed and we don't have that much leisure in our lives and that you know it's kind of a scary thought to think about and um i kind of i hope more people read this book because i totally agree with it (laughs) yeah it's um yeah it's a wild time i'm actually reading a a similar book it's called give and take by adam grant it you know Mm. it's it's very some half about halfway through but it's it's very similar and it, it just talks about you know, three different types of people, givers, matchers, and takers. And obviously takers are just the very selfish ones. Like forget the guy's name, but the CEO of Enron Global years ago when that whole scandal happened, you know, just very selfish people. And then he just talks about, you know, how the most successful people in life are always, or not, yeah, are always the ones who just, you know, give more than they ask for. And so, yeah, um, it's something that, you know, I guess we should all be striving to, to do. And like you mentioned with your blogging, so, you know, what, 
What has been one of your favorite blog pieces to write about? Oh my gosh, that is like the hardest question. <laughs> Probably just yeah, especially because you blog like every day. So <laughs> you know, I, I I have it. So <laughs> this article was inspired by a heated argument with a friend of mine. Um, we were at the pub and I started talking about early specialization. And he started arguing with me and I don't think he was like hearing me out because I was saying, look, like I'm not for or against early specialization. I'm, I see both sides and it's a case by case basis. Um, So I wrote it based off of that argument with my friend. And it's so funny when like blogs are inspired from certain events. It's hilarious, but um, right. It was probably like the most viral article I've written and I didn't intend it to be. It was like a 5,000 word essay. <laughs> um, it's called Early Specialization versus Early Sampling versus the Lannisters. And I give a bunch of Game of Thrones references and battles and like fights and wars. And it's just it's just hilarious. And it was really fun to write. And it it's like a little bit of research on both sides, uh, practical experience from what I've seen with early specializers and kids who played multiple sports in, in the eight years I coached and um, just some funny uh, pop culture references. Um, but yeah, that definitely was my favorite one, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've never seen a Game of Thrones episode, side side note. But uh, <laughs> oh, you need to get but, on that right now. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 I feel like the last three months would have been the time to do it. And because I didn't take advantage of that opportunity, I just don't think it's ever going to happen. But um, so what what is your take on it? You know, you've been coaching for a while. Have you seen the early specializers burn out uh, over that period? Whereas maybe the early samplers, as you like to call them, kind of just have more, more energy, more passion for what they're doing, or has it been a mix? Yeah, I think it's, it's been a mix. Um, You know, I've, I've seen a lot of early samplers uh, do really well. Um, I've seen them be more coordinated when they reach adolescence, uh, faster, um, more able to scan the field and think like two steps ahead and be creative. So that's been interesting to see. But I've also seen early specializers, you know, stay healthy. Uh, But that's because they um, did strength and conditioning or, you know, they dabbled in some like pickup sports, um, or something recreational. So I think where early specialization becomes dangerous is when that sport is all the kid does and they don't do like a fitness program to complement it. Um, so, you know, cause you see like IX youth, Liverpool youth, um, and all these clubs, all those kids are early specializers, but right. they have a performance program year round. And and you'll see a lot of these performance programs, they're doing like gymnastics, they're doing judo, they're playing handball. So they're still like early specializers while being samplers. Right. Um, and I think a lot of clubs in the States don't do that. And they don't see the benefit of maybe incorporating like handball into a team practice or, you know, dabbling in some like rolling and gymnastics drills as warm ups, like which is really easy to do at a team practice. It, you just need 10 minutes. So that's, right. been, that's been a really interesting find. Um, and it's, you know, it's really going to depend on the kid as far as burnout. Like some kids, you know, they just they love the game and they can be early specializers and be okay. And I don't, it's not a, a one size fits all. Mm, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So over the past three months, since we've been, I guess, in quarantine, now that the, the restrictions are starting to be somewhat lifted, where, what have you, what have you been doing, I guess, in the last three months to keep yourself busy other than blogging, even, even though, you can gladly talk about blogging because I'm, I would love to hear it as well. <laughs> so we, we didn't stop training. We just moved everyone virtually. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that. We, we had like three zoom sessions a week, but it wasn't always like intense training. It was just like more technique and like, um, you know, goal setting, habit forming, like really taking the time to 
take inventory uh, with these kids and see what gaps need to be filled in their lives, whether it's better nutrition, better sleep. So like we really took the time to do that. And that's something I'm going to keep even when like the smoke clears with all this. Um, but yeah, just been keeping busy with virtual. And now that restrictions are slowly being lifted, I'm doing a a little in person in small groups, but then also some hybrid online for some families who aren't comfortable being in the groups yet. So I don't see virtual disappearing with even my in-person athletes in Maryland. So that's been really nice because I think the families appreciate having the convenience of virtual and not having to drive 45 minutes to my facility on a school day. So that's been, that's been really great. And that, and you know, we'll have, if it storms outside or it snows, like we're going virtual, like we're not canceling, we're just going to go virtual. So it's, it's been really helpful in that, in that regard. Yeah, it was it was interesting to see, you know, a lot of a lot of fitness move online and still kind of find find a place for it. But um, have you so you you mentioned, you know, really just taking inventory of what what's really going on in these kids lives. Have you after doing that, have you felt more of a sense of buy in from the kids in what you're doing once you once you found that, you know, you're taking even more time to really understand what they're going through from you know, from a child's perspective and not being in school and just being home all the time? Um, I think they're just more appreciative that we're working on it because when we do talk about it, they're like, oh my gosh, like there's so much more to performance than what we're doing in the gym and on the field. Like that's just a sliver of it all. And they're also just surprised, like, oh, my gosh, like, I didn't even, like, think to, like, write down, like, we have, like, a ton of categories going. We have, like, sleep, nutrition, um, friendships, relationships. Um, We're going as far as, like, spirituality, you know, whatever you believe in. Like, those are all pieces of performance, and they're going to affect someone's mindset or how their nervous system responds to a stimulus um, and how they perform that day in a game. So I think they're just – grateful to now be more aware of what's going on in their lives. And again, this is stuff that they can take when this all ends. Like, you know, I'm sure you reflect every day. I reflect every day and I'm like, well, am I doing this? Am I helping myself? Am I helping others? Am I dialed in with my nutrition? Am I, am I sleeping? Am I calming myself? Like there's so many categories to look at and it's important for anyone, whether you're an athlete or you're just a human. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's very interesting. Cause a lot of the kids you train are in kind of middle school. So to Right. Oh, wait, sorry. My is that correct? They're like middle school age. Yeah, middle school and high school. Yeah. yeah. So for them to reflect at that age, did it, did a lot of them kind of feel uncomfortable doing it? Because I know if you were to ask my, you know, me when I was 11, 12, 13, and even in high school to reflect on something, I probably wouldn't have taken it seriously, or I've like looked at it as like I just would have been like, what what is it? What is the point of this? Hmm. Yeah. Well. I usually word it differently uh, when I'm talking to all of them. So with the the younger kids, it'll be more like we're kind of like rating it and it's like, okay, well, what or, or we're writing down what what did you guys do awesome this month or what was something mm. that like really pumped you up about soccer or, or anything you did this year or in school. So I'll word it differently with the younger kids, whereas the older kids, it's like really detailed and I'm having them write down everything um, or check off certain boxes and categories. And we're also ranking and we're also taking all that inventory and setting new goals. So with the older kids, it's a lot more in depth. That's genius. That's a, that's a very smart way to, to work <laughs> around the, the reflection. So I, I like that a lot. And you know, it's funny because I think um, like with the younger ones, like, they, they, it's, they always tell me, they're like, you know what, like doing this is way more fun than what, you know, what we're doing in school. And I'm like, good, right. they should be teaching you this stuff in school. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, should, you should be learning self-awareness. Like the moment, like when you get into middle school, you should be learning this. Right. Yeah. No, Um. absolutely. I mean, I, I can only think just how many middle schoolers don't, don't really have a clue what's going on other than you know, doing exactly what 
they've been brought up to do. And that's go to school, you know, go hang out with your friends maybe, and then come home, do your homework. But it's like, there's so much more to, to them learning about life and understanding them as a kid that you're doing so such a good job at for them to, you know, kind of think more in depth about everything they're doing. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's, it's really about getting them thinking and not, not necessarily telling them what to do or giving them the answer. They have to find it themselves. So, um, you know, I'll ask the young ones, okay, well, what's one thing that you're so proud of, uh, or like something that you really improved on. And then they'll, you know, they'll say something like speed or skills, whatever. And then I'll be like, okay, well, what, what did you do to, to make that happen? Like, and then they just kind of go through the process and they're like, oh, well, I, you know, played 1v1s against my dad more. I, I practiced uh, 10 minutes extra a day on my own. So I have them try to answer it themselves. And then they see, okay, well, I have the power to, to achieve my goals. Like it's in my hands and it's important to let them know that at a young age. Yeah. So, and so you do something that's really really smart as well. And that's just you asking questions. So how important, and, and, you know, again, this is part of the reason why I'm realizing that I started the podcast. Is I lo- I'm very curious to, and I love asking questions about people. Like I love learning about people. So, you know, ha- what, what other, what are some other questions that you use for these kids to try to, you know, really get them to think other than, you know, like try to break it down or can you at least elaborate more on how important asking these kids questions are to, to make them think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the main questions I ask is what, where do you want to go or, or what do you want out of all this? And, you know, I, a lot of my older girls will say, okay, well, I want to make the varsity high school team. I want to play in college. And then I'll come back with, well, here, here's a, a general template of what you need to do to get to that point? Are, are you willing to do this? Like, is this the work you're willing to do? And, and they'll, some of them will say yes. And then some of them, it might be, "Eh, I don't know. But then, you know, we can even go further with that and be like, okay, well, how much do you value this end goal? Like, how important is that to you? Like rank that, like, you know, 10 out of 10, nine out of 10, whatever. And then they, they rank it. And, if it's not valuable to them, then I ask them, okay, then, you know, do you, do you want to take this seriously? Do you want to be more fun with it? Because either is fine. It's just, you know, we need to figure out what, what you want. Um, and, and, you know, I have some girls who, who go for it. D one, I have some girls who are like, I just want to have fun with this. And I think it's important to not, you know, judge them for that. Cause as coaches, we're not, it's, it's not about like always getting them to this high level of training. It's about them finding what they really want to do and what they're passionate about. So I want them to discover that as well. Wow. I love that. I love that. So what questions do you ask yourself to help reach your goals? Is it the same ones? Do you like go through this kind of (laughs) same reflection process or are yours a little bit more in depth? Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I do ask myself those same questions and it is really hard though, as a a trainer in the private sector, because it's constantly changing. But I think I've, I've always had to check in with myself and my message and ask, okay, am I, am I staying with the message I want to preach? Am I like showing people that? Am I inspiring people with this message? And I have to constantly come back to that. Um, and the, the main message is kind of what we were just talking about, but it's to, to help young athletes, especially females, discover their strengths, whether it's through their sport or through something else and whatever they want to pursue. Um, so I have to to always make sure I'm, I'm preaching that. And I'm, you know, sh- whether that's, sharing it through, through blogs or, um, just having awesome conversations with people, um, tweeting, (laughs) whatever it may be, um, just making sure that the message is always there. Absolutely. So do you ever feel that, or do, do you ever feel the need to work with the, the, 
your clients or the kids that you work with, they're sport coaches to try to help them reach their goals or their parents to help them reach their goals? Or is this something that you just want to keep confidential between um, your your athletes and you? Yeah, it's been, um, I, I know several of the coaches of um, the the players I work with and they do a really great job. Um, but if there's ever like a situation where I feel maybe a player is overtraining or um, maybe they need a cut back, I, I have to reach out to the coach um, or I will talk to the player and kind of ask them, okay, well, what did you cover at practice this week? Can you do a tougher session today? Do you just want to maintain, especially when we're in season? So it's it's communication between the me and the player. And then if I have to talk to the coach, I talk to the coach. What are, what are those conversations like? Um, they're, they're mixed. Um, I think, you know, a lot of coaches have great intention and, and they're smart and they're, they're looking after these kids, but then every, every now and then you'll, you'll get a coach who's kind of more old school and, just needs a little bit more education on the, the child development piece, especially with um, pre-adolescent and adolescent females. So just approaching them in terms of the, the science and, and the literature and then um, like practical experience is always good. Absolutely. So what do you like better or what do you like the most about being in that private sector? Is it the fact that you can, you know, you really can build a deep connection with the athletes or, you know, what's better about the private sector than say being in a team setting? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a layered question. Where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, yeah, I'll, I'll answer in a couple parts. The, I think the first one is definitely the the connection and being able to be with these players long term. Because when, when you're at a club, I'm not sure, like sometimes players might switch clubs or not invest in just one club for the length of their career. Um, you know, I've been lucky to work with girls since age 10 and now some of them are in college. So that's been such a cool journey to see them them blossom in college soccer and beyond. Um, I'd say as far as like work-life balance, that's really important for me. And I don't have any desire to be traveling all the time or, you know, going into work at 6 a.m. and leaving at 7 p.m. And I've heard absolute nightmare stories from my friends who do work for clubs and, and youth academies. And I, 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 I don't want any part of, you know, such a, a stressful life. Um, of course I love my work, but if I'm constantly being run into the ground and, and working hours like that, I feel like I don't have the energy to really give the kids what they need when I'm coaching. And I want to be able to have my time too, so that then I can give my all to others. So the, the work-life balance is huge for me. And I think, um, you know, in the first, I'd say even three to five years of coaching in the private sector, yeah, they were hard. I was working hours I didn't want to work. I was working seven days a week and I was just kind of all over the place. But now I'm to a point where I'm much more efficient with my schedule and I'm able to take time for myself, whether that's, you know, having alone time and and regrouping or seeing my friends and loved ones or, or traveling, uh, when, whenever I can, or, you know, doing, having time and energy for continuing education and new research Mm -hmm. even. So yeah, there's just so many pieces that go into it. And I'm just, I'm just kind of like a a free spirit too. So I don't think I could ever work for a club, but I don't know. I don't want to say never, you know, because I might in like 10 years. (laughs) So so tell me more about this. Retirement, retirement part one for me. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me more a little bit about you being a free spirit. What Uh, do you mean by being a free spirit? I just have always marched to the beat of my own drum. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just I, I'm an extremely creative person. And if I have an idea 
I am going to put my all in it, but it, it can always be changing. Um, you know, whether I want to write a book on, on youth fitness, which I did a couple years ago, or, you know, come out with a female athlete course, which I'm doing now. And just, I feel like I wouldn't be able to do all these cool things and create this impact if I was married to a club. But, you know, I know some co- uh, performance coaches who work for pro clubs who are kind of starting to dabble in like, the freelance sector, but like, right. It's hard for them to fully dive into that because they got work to do with the, with the first team and with the coaching staff and management. And I can do this whenever the heck I want, you know? <laughs> right. Right. So what, what else do you like? To, I mean, I know you touched on, you know, continuing education, but what else do you like to do with your free time that you so graciously have being in the private sector? Spend time with my cat, which I'm sure you've seen on Instagram. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> he he's famous now. He's a legend. Um, he is. I'm surprised he doesn't have his own Instagram yet. Yeah, right. I know it's crazy. Um, that's my next project, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, getting him on the cats of Instagram page. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm not, I don't, I live a very simple life. I don't, I don't need too much. I'm just very content to exist. And, um, a lot of my weekends include just me reading or I love going for walks. I love skateboarding. I love just moving. Um, I don't, I think I told you, I don't drink. I don't really, I'm not a big partier. Um, that's not to say like, I won't hang out with my friends cause I very, really value friendship, but yeah, I just kind of am, I'm low key. And um, yeah, I mean, I like to travel when I can, uh, mainly snowboarding. I try to take a trip or two a year. But other than that, I don't need or do much. And you know, I'm sorry, it sounds boring, but no, it's the best way. It's <laughs> yeah, the best way. And it's, a, you know, it's not expensive. It's a, more of like a minimal right. life. Um, but you know, it works for me. And if it works for other people, great, but we're, we're all different. And um, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So talk to us a little bit about the female athlete course that you're developing because it sounds pretty phenomenal. Yeah. So, um, I, I want to get more information out there on how to approach mainly like the pre-adolescent population with when the growth spurt is at its apex and I, I want to deliver it more in like vi- with video content. So um, with like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I want to make it a course or just, you know, video modules that people can log into. But I just want to uh, give coaches some practical advice on how to train them, uh, technique considerations and uh, things that coaches can implement right away. Um, and uh, I, I'm trying to figure out just how to package it right now. And, and I also have to do the filming. That's another thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a process in itself. Yeah, I know. But, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> so do, do you feel that, co- like, that some coaches just don't, um, I guess, don't really understand how to connect with a young female athlete initially? Uh, or at, at least it takes them a little bit longer than, maybe, than a male and then, you know, that male to male. Uh, youth athlete is that is that kind of the reason behind it in a sense yeah there's definitely a social component um I think you know I've talked to a lot of of male coaches and they do a and a lot of them do a great job with female athletes but when I talk to them they'll always say you know it's it's that social component sometimes like you know if a girl comes to practice and she's pouty and she's down like I, I don't know what to say like it could be like you know, menstruation or whatever, or hormones. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, it is. And I'm glad you're, you know, you're aware of that. And I want to help uh, uh, male coaches, especially to to navigate that and what to do. And and sometimes it's just as simple as, hey, like, you just got to not talk and just listen to the girl like that. That's really all you need to do. And they're going to love you for it. So I definitely want to provide some more of that education. Yeah, I guess it all just kind of goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, just asking questions and, and listening and, you know, really understanding where, where the athlete is coming from. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, you know, for girls, it's definitely important to listen. And, you know, we can say the same for 
for young boys as well. And I think that's, it's just the art of coaching. It's being able to, to listen, um, not, not always give unwanted advice and just hear your athletes out and see how their day was and just get to know what's going on, um, outside of the gym or off the pitch. And yeah, we just have to remember that we're in the human, human industry and not just sport performance. Absolutely. So Erica, you do a ton of things. What are you most passionate about? I am most passionate about coaching and writing. Coaching and writing. Yeah. Those, those are the two things I would say I enjoy the most out of everything that I'm kind of dabbling in right now is coaching in person and writing blogs that inspire people. Gotcha. Gotcha. So when you, how do you, how do you find so many different blog topics, by the way, because you write a ton and it's awesome. I can't say I've read them all, but I have read a handful. So I mean, you know, where, where do you come up with all these different topics from? You know, I just go to, um, Twitter accounts that, uh, make me angry. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Usually it's topics that trigger me and I see, I see a problem and I want to provide a solution. So one of my most recent ones was on coaching female athletes, plyometrics. And, you know, I just have observed so many training sessions where they're just being, run into the ground with hit circuits that have so many jumps, like over 500 ground contacts, which is insane because you should be doing like 60 or less, you know, if you really want to train explosiveness, but, and you know, I love your opinion on this too, because you're doing a lot of (laughs) goalkeeping performance coach, but it's always topics that I want to um, make people aware of that are an issue and, and why they are an issue based on science and, and practice. Uh, um, so yeah, it's, I never run out of ideas. It's yeah, it's usually stuff that triggers me or maybe I have a conversation with an athlete or another performance coach, but there's never a shortage of, of topics. Good for you. So what, um, tell me more about this female plyometrics. Now, now I'm really curious. Are they, so they're doing 500 ground contacts, which is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) And this is all in what, like, I assume like an hour's span time span yeah it's you know i've seen sessions where it's been like a continuous like 30 minute like circuit like uh whether it's you know vertical jumps then you know they go to a burpee station and then they do some like bounding <laughs> and then like squat jumps and i you know i'm just like okay well what what are you training here because if it's aerobic fitness sure but like that's a, like you can there's smarter ways to do aerobic fitness without putting so uh-huh. much impact on the joints. <laughs> um so the, yeah the whole point of the article was again asking coaches a, a questions like what do you want to get out of your jumping drills cuz every coach longs for their young athletes to be fast and explosive and it's like well if you guys long for that then are you really doing that in your training sessions? So it, right. it, it dives into all those questions. And I love not just telling in my, my blogs, but posing questions. Mm, I love that. So what, what else? So did you provide a solution or did, again, going back to the questions, what, what else were some of the questions that you asked in the blog? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really just what the goal of a, a plyometric training session was. Uh, are they really taking athletes through the steps? So are they teaching them how to absorb their force and then produce force? Are they teaching them like bilateral landings then you un- like progressing to unilateral? So is it progressive? Is it gradual? Especially with the, the pre-adolescent adolescent population, it, it need it needs to be because they're, they're motor learning, they're learning movement patterns and there needs to be a thought process behind the programming so that those were some of the questions I posed, and then I I just offered uh, several solutions and, and video content, and just giving them a visual of what you know we're teaching to like middle schoolers and then high schoolers, and then what it might look like for a college female athlete who's doing more like velocity based training with like load on the jumps. Right, right. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad you touched on the thought process too, because I know like back back when I very first started. Uh, a few years ago, you know, I didn't really have a thought process. I was just kind of like, okay, yeah, this is what I think we should do. Let's do it. But now 
you know, just even over the last like three months and just the more I think about it, I'm just like, okay, if I want to do this exercise, why do I want to do it? And then and like, I, I think, and I really just started to ask myself why over and over again until I get to the bottom of the answer. And, and for me, at least it's been eye opening because then it's made me think about this option and this option and that option. There's so many different ways to maybe do what I want to do and want to get out of whatever session in a much simpler and safer way. And so um, thought process is, that, is everything. Yeah, I love how you you ask why it's it's always the best place to start. And, you know, I'm sure you see it in in goalkeeper performance training. There's a lot of guys just doing plyometrics and not seeing right. like that strength piece or, you know, like a 10 yard acceleration or teaching acceleration or lateral speed. So, yeah, I'm sure you've seen like just goalkeepers doing jumps the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> hoping oh, yeah, they're gonna get it, explosive <laughs> and, and the thing too like that I, i've just not to like you know get on my subject but like the thing i've started thinking about more too is just like you know why why do we want to do like we all are all goalkeepers want to do plyometrics because they all want to be able to make that save in the top corner but then it's just like oh well how often are you really having to make that save right you know what i mean like you know it's like plyometric you know we should be using it more for just like you know crosses or even just just being able to produce force. And, yeah. and so it's like, um, just it, an interesting thought process that I, you know, recently had about, about training and everything. And but, it's good. It's good to oh, think go deeply yeah. about it and what, what each position is actually doing in the game. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, and, and I think too, just the more you ask why, like, and even I was just watching a game today, it was just like, why did this, why did the goalie do this? Why do you do that? You know, I was really just trying to figure out and think of all these different ways of, what could be or what his thought process could have been and could have could have been and for me at least like you know having this time to reflect over the past three months and just asking why and why and why it's it's made me at least I felt myself grow um pretty pretty significantly in three months and just in my knowledge about different subjects I love it yeah I think any coach who refuses to ask questions is is not going to improve and you know I think you might have listened to the Dr. Tommy John's podcast mm-hmm. and the the title of my episode was question everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, exactly. <laughs> and it's true. I mean, it's it's important to question yourself and be hard on yourself and seek truth. Like I you know, I even look at my own training and I'm like, okay, well, you know, are people improving and like do I have like the quantitative data to show for it? Yes, with like certain measurables. Do I have the qualitative video feedback? Yes, but like, you know, I still need to figure out ways to make sure like this stuff works and really ask my questions. Okay, well, is it me? Is it the athlete? Like are there other factors? So like I can't always take all of the credit. It's like um right. I was talking to another guy, God, I forget his name, uh, but he had interviewed Mike Young, the Carolina Courage performance coach. And he was just asking questions like, why does your method work? And, you know, Mike was like, well, you know, we've won all these championships, but like, is that because of you, the strength coach, or is it other things? So it's, 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 and it's not to offend someone, but it's just to be like, okay, well, you know, just checking yourself, like, am I, am I doing enough here? And is it just me or are there other factors? And do I recognize that? I love that. I love it. So what, what's one, one thing or one or two things that you've recently questioned yourself on? Oh man, that's a good one. That is a really good one. Um, you know, uh, with the, the pre-adolescent group, and this is something I'm very open about. It's, Kids, as they go get through that growth spurt and, and they finish it up and they, you know, grow back into their coordination and how to control their body they're and get more muscle, of course, they're, they're going to naturally improve their speed times. You know, it's not, it's not just going to be because they're training with me. It's going to be a combination of good strength and conditioning, but also them getting through their growth spurt. <laughs> Right, right. Hey. So, um, you know, just being being open about that and letting people know like that's what to expect. But like does good training during that time help as far as, you know, maximizing that speed potential when they're older and reducing chance of injury? Absolutely. But I don't want to like attribute like their improved speed times when when they're 12 years old to just like my training. It's, you know, they they were getting stronger and, and more powerful. Absolutely. I love that. So 
Erica, last question I have for you about, don't worry, I asked it to everybody, but it also touches perfectly on everything that we discussed is every time you train an athlete or an athlete leaves and goes to college or you stop training them, what are some things that you want them to have said about you as a person, as a leader and as a coach? Gosh, you know, I think about this a lot. I'm so, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> and side note, since I've been asking people this, I'm like, well, I got I to gotta ask this myself every day too. So so I've been yeah, asking yeah. myself uh, almost every day. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot and I've, I'm actually writing on it now, which is really funny. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, because the, the, last, the last few lines in this article, it's about training the young female athlete. And I say – Female athletes aren't, you know, even if you win games championships, they're not going to remember you, you know, if you were an abusive coach or you dropped F-bombs and you constantly like yelled at them. No, like they're, they're going to remember if you were a kind person and you cared for them and you made sure sports were fun. And uh, I forget who said this. I think it was Andy from USA Football, but he said sports don't teach life lessons. A lot of people say, yeah, kids learn lessons through sports. No, kids learn lessons through good coaches. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. if you have a bad coach, you're not going to learn crap. Like, <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, exactly. So, it's not the sport. It's the, it's the leader. Um, so I think about that a lot. And I want girls to be like, wow, like Erica's sessions were fun. And she really inspired me to find my strength and what I'm good at, whether that's soccer or or other things. So that's the, those are like the main ones I want to re- be remembered for. Wow, I love that. I love that, and, and it's so true. And it, it is all about the leader. And and I was actually, I think, on my last episode, I had my buddy on, and we were talking about coaching. And you know, one of the, his big things is just setting the environment. And we and we touched on the last couple of podcasts. Actually, we we've just been touching on how important that environment we as coaches are creating for our kids to develop in and to grow in. And, and, you know, like I know me personally as a coach, I haven't done a good enough job of that in my first handful of years, but you know, after realizing it, it's how important the environment is and thinking back to my time as a player, you know, it's, it's everything, you know, it's, it's where we grow. And so that, that's an awesome, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, it's, it's important. It's um, yeah. I think it, we, we, sometimes forget the purpose of sports. We get too caught up in, in the, the games and the wins, the losses. And it's like, yeah, like that stuff, it it comes and goes. Um, But like what stays are like the awesome memories with your teammates, uh, your coach teaching you great lessons and how to be a good person. So that's, that's stuff that's with them forever. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Erica, thank you so much for taking the time. It has been awesome. And I look forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you, Jesse. This was awesome. Of course.